Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Now the Lord God provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You held me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me forever, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Morning, everyone. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. In my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. In my distress, I called to the Lord. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. In my distress, from deep in the realm of the dead. I wonder whether those words resonate with you today. On Friday, at the beginning of our uh, Emmanuel Eco Group committee meeting, we went round to find out how people were doing. And I think it was fair to say that one or two were feeling okay but everyone else really was somewhere on that scale between distressed and feeling deep in the realm of the dead. And I suspect that that is reflected across our church and across our nation. Life is hard right now for many people, perhaps even for most people. You need to know there is some hope coming later on in the sermon. But for now, we're going to, as it were, dwell in the deeps. 
because this is real life. And we believe in a God who cares about our real lives. We don't have to pretend to him. In fact, we might even say it's sinful to pretend. Let's be real. Because at the moment, on top of all the normal stuff that we've got going on in our lives, the normal stuff to do with jobs and money and relationships and all those kind of things, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. And it's grim. There is no getting away from it. And many people are somewhere on that scale between distressed and deep in the realm of the dead. We're suffering physically and mentally and spiritually. Our physical health is suffering right now. Obviously for those people who have COVID or who have had COVID and are feeling those effects or after effects. Extraordinary amount to have to deal with. For those people who are spending hours every day on Zoom, there is a physical exhaustion, a Zoom fatigue that comes with that. Many of us are simply not getting out and getting the fresh air that we would like. It's different this lockdown, isn't it, to to the way it was back in April or May when the sun was shining. Physically, we are suffering. Mentally, we're suffering too. The latest research from Mind UK says that 60% of adults and 68% of children say that their mental health has significantly deteriorated during the pandemic. And that's reflected in the conversations that I've been having with many of you, people who spoke to me and said, you're just kind of, you know, just at points of the day, just as you're walking around the house, you just suddenly find yourself going, or, oh. I've had a number of men come to speak to me, and these are, you know, big, strapping, manly men, saying that for the first time in their lives, they're finding themselves at the moment just randomly, sporadically, bursting into tears. Completely unexpected, not normal behavior, and yet this is being um, reflected across lots of different people. There are people who are saying that it's just so hard mentally coping with trying to work and trying to homeschool children. The mental jump that you have to do each time you go in and out of those things is so difficult to cope with. The latest research from King's uh, College about nurses, and I guess it could be uh, symbolic of other frontline workers, is that up to 50% of them now are suffering from severe anxiety, severe depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, or heavy drinking. For us here at Emmanuel and across our nation, we're suffering mentally. And spiritual health is taking a blow as well. It's so hard not being able to meet together, not being able to worship together, because that's how we're designed. It's true to say as well that our spiritual health is deeply affected by our mental and physical health. They're all interwoven. And so our spiritual health is really suffering too. People are finding it hard to engage with God, finding it hard to be be bothered or to find time. Our physical and mental and spiritual health are all suffering. So what does this second chapter of Jonah have to uh, to teach us in the midst of all of that? Well, there's a couple of visual images I want to pull out whilst we remain uh, in the depths, 
that speak to something of how so many are feeling. The first visual image is that of water. Of course, in this second chapter, we, we are visualizing Jonah in the deeps. He's been hurled into the depths, and we saying to God, all your waves and breakers are crashing over me. He feels like he's being strangled by seaweed, like he's drowning in the deep. Perhaps, for some of us, that's how we feel right now. But this visual image of water goes even further because it feeds into imagery that is captured right across the Bible. There are a couple of, of key things that water signifies in the Bible. And the first one of those is that it signifies chaos, disorder, destruction, and death. If we go back to the very first chapter of Genesis, which actually Jane was alluding to in her, in her prayers, we discover that in this glorious bit of poetry about the creation uh, of the world, that in this image, actually before the creation, there wasn't nothingness, but there was water. Darkness was over the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And that's because uh, in the mindset of the Jewish people, who were not much of a seafaring nation, Water signified chaos and disorder. So it made perfect sense for that to be the image of, of pre-creation. As we move forward in, in Genesis, we get to uh, the story of Noah's Ark, which again, that, that the story of that water represents something of destruction and death. We can find some of those images right the way throughout the Bible. So this image we've got here of Jonah in the depths, Seaweed around his head, drowning, is one that reflects this imagery of chaos, disorder, uh, destruction, and death. The second uh, image I want to pull out is actually from the end of chapter one, which, uh, where Joel began uh, his reading for us. And by the way, Joel, thanks for your reading. That was great. Um, so it says, Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, uh, the original listeners or readers of Jonah, so we're talking here at probably around a few hundred years BC, they would have known that that, um, that phrase, three days and three nights, wasn't one to be taken literally. It didn't literally mean 72 hours. Rather, it was an idiom that was used to talk about a long journey. So when people heard the phrase three days and three nights, they knew that what was being referred to here was a long journey. We get it a little bit in uh, Jonah chapter 3, when it says that Nineveh was a big city. It took three days to travel across it. Now, we know that that wouldn't literally be true. Cities simply weren't that big in those days. But actually, what it was trying to say was that compared to other cities, Nineveh was a big one. It took a long journey to get across it. And this long journey motif is reflected, too, in, uh, in Genesis 22, Exodus 3, and other places. So three days and three nights signifies a long journey. There's also an idea, actually, that it might also represent a long journey to the underworld. Uh, you'll be familiar with Greek and Roman uh, myths and legends about people taking trips to the underworld, like Orpheus. Uh, also, actually, uh, uh, there's some Sumerian legends written at similar sorts of time to Jonah, which talk about people going down uh, to the underworld. There's one of Imana, and uh, when she goes down to the underworld, her journey takes her three days and three nights. So it may be that in the cultural landscape of the day, this imagery of three days and three nights was a long journey, uh, which maybe also represented something of, of death and life, death and rebirth. So we have these two images then in Jonah of a long journey of chaos, disorder, destruction, and death. 
I don't know about you, but that feels about right to me of where we are. It feels like it's a long journey right now. It's hard work. And if you're feeling like that, you are not alone. But I did promise there was some hope. So what happens then? What does Jonah do? Well, he says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. So Jonah calls for help. He cries out to God. And he does this from his darkest point. And that's really important for us to notice. Because so often when we get to that stage, it feels like we just can't reach out to God. But Jonah finds a way to call out to God. And I want to pick out four things in particular, four ways that he does this. But before that, a quick aside. When I was at uni, sadly a long time ago now, uh, I knew a chap, let's call him Bob. He was an acquaintance more than a friend. And Bob was a notorious slacker, always handing in his essays in late. And it came to one particular time where the deadline was the next morning and late in the evening before, he hadn't even begun to start writing his essay. He knew he couldn't afford to hand in another one late. So he decided to take a bit of a risk. He went down to the essay bank, which was a place in the library where you could uh, look up previous essays that had been written by people on your course. And the idea was that it would give you a chance to see what other people had written and it might inspire you to write your own. Of course, what you were not meant to do was copy out the essay word for word. But that is the risk that Bob decided to take. He uh, found an essay and he found one that wasn't graded a first because he thought that would be a bit too obvious. My tutor's bound to know if I hand in a first that it wasn't me who wrote it. So he, he got one that was a 2-1. And he spent the night copying it out, word for word. Absolutely shocking, of course. And he handed in the essay the next morning. Well, a couple of weeks later, when he got the essay back, his tutor had written this. Grade first. I wrote this essay, and I always thought it deserved more than it got. See me. Unbelievably, Bob had handed in the essay of his tutor and therefore uh, got stuck for plagiarism. Sadly, but rightly, Bob was kicked out of the university for plagiarism. Well, did you know that Jonah is a filthy little plagiarist? It's an absolute shocker. This beautiful prayer that we've got written in Jonah chapter 2 is completely nicked, stolen, and pilfered from elsewhere. Pretty much every word of it is plagiarized. Can you believe it? Jonah, in fact, has nicked most of this prayer uh, from the Psalms. In fact, just in that verse that I've been repeating in my distress, I call for help, etc., just in that one verse, there's seven different Psalms uh, that, are, that are kind of quoted there. And actually, if you go through, there are dozens of different Psalms in this prayer. Jonah has literally sewn together uh, a whole bunch of different Psalms to form his prayer. A shocking act of plagiarism. The good news is, of course, that when it comes to quoting from the Bible, God doesn't mind a bit of plagiarism. In fact, he positively endorses it. And I want to say to you, if you're at the moment somewhere on that scale between distress and deep in the realm of the dead, take a leaf out of Jonah's book and get stuck into the Psalms because they are 
perfect for where we're at right now. They are real and raw. So they meet us where we're at. But they are hopeful and life-giving. They take us on. So if that's you right now, here's one thing to learn from the way that Jonah called out to God. Get stuck into the Psalms because they are amazing. Secondly then, another thing that Jonah does as he seeks to call out to the Lord is that he is real. We've already heard him say, you hurled me into the depths. Now, actually, I'm not sure that's true. I think, I think it's pretty clear that Jonah got the sailors to hurl him into the depths. But Jonah is angry with God and he's blaming him for that. You hurled me into the depths. And he's all, you, know, you banished me from your sight. He's having a right go at God. And do you know what? I want to recommend that too. It is better to be angry with God than not to communicate with him at all. God is a big God. He can cope with our anger. So if you're feeling cross or frustrated or angry or upset, pour those things out to God. He wants us to be real with him. It's better to do that than to pack it all up in a box and stick it away and not talk about it. That's no help to anyone. So be real with God. But thirdly, Jonah is real with himself too. In verse 8, he says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from your love for them. Jonah actually begins to recognize that he has turned away from God. For much of this um, book, we, as the reader, can see that. We can see Jonah running away. But actually, he starts off this prayer with, with you know, having a go at God for turning away from him. But actually, he begins to realize it's he who's turned away from God. And it's important for us, in the midst of all the difficulties going on, to recognize that sometimes it can be us who turn away from God's presence in our lives. Um, also, Jonah uh, realizes that he's been clinging to worthless idols. Uh, for him, perhaps, vanity, pride, desire for freedom, to be his own man. I wonder what the worthless idols are in our lives. And they might be things that in and of themselves are good. Maybe we're clinging to uh, to, to our security, to money, or maybe to family, or to relationships, or to security. Those things are all good in and of themselves, but actually if we find ourselves clinging to those things rather than to God, they become worthless idols in our lives. Actually, we need to seek to cling to God, even in those darkest, deepest moments in our lives. And then fourthly, Jonah turns to praise in verse 9, I think. Uh, Jonah says that, that, he's gonna, that he praised God. And we need to remember here that this is right at the bottom. This is the nadir. This is the depth. In verse 7, we get Jonah right down in the depth, hemmed in on every side. This is as far away from God as he could possibly be. And yet somehow in that moment, and this is one of the few really good bits of Jonah we get across this book, he chooses to praise God. God. Now I know that that's hard. When we're right in the grip of the grimness, it's hard to turn to praise. And yet Jonah's experience, and I can say too that my experience is that when we do that, there is something life-giving about it. When in the midst of our darkness we choose to praise God despite it, it opens up that channel of communication and it allows God to pour something of his life-giving, hope-giving love into our lives. So if you are between distress and deep in the realm of the dead, cry out to God. Use the Bible, use the Psalms. Be real with God and real with yourself. 
cling to him rather than other things, and praise. So, kind of what happens then? You know, where's the happy ending in this? Well, let's carry on with that verse. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Jonah believes that God listened and that God answered. And that's, that's amazing, because actually, towards the beginning of this prayer from Jonah, we get him saying, God, you banished me from your sight. Again, not sure it was God who banished Jonah from his sight. Rather, I think that Jonah banished himself from God's sight. But that's how Jonah felt about it. He couldn't recognize God anywhere. He couldn't see him. He couldn't feel him. He couldn't hear him. I wonder if that's how you feel too. Maybe right at this moment, actually, you, you can't recognize God's presence. Maybe you feel like he's banished you from his sight. Or maybe you just, you're just at a point where you're just thinking, I just can't see him or hear him right now. Let me tell you a story about Ahanu, who was a young Native American boy. It was his 13th birthday, and he was both excited and nervous. Nervous because that night was to be his coming-of-age ritual. So he was taken out into the middle of the forest, miles away from everywhere, and left there on his own. His job was simply to stand throughout the night and survive until morning. And if he did so, he was a man. Well, as the darkness began to close in around Ahanu, his confidence turned to nervousness, turned to anxiety and to downright fear. In the pitch black, every twig that snapped, he was sure was an animal about to pounce upon him. As the wind rustled through the leaves, he was sure it was wolves howling in the surrounding area. Even the silence pressed in upon him, making him quiver and tremble. It was awful. And after what felt like an eternity, ten eternities, finally, the dim light of dawn began to seep in through the canopy. And Ahanu got the final shock of that night. He began to discern a tall, solitary figure standing silently, not ten yards from where Ahanu was, holding a bow and arrow. It was his father, and he'd been there all night. You see, it's completely understandable that when we're in the deeps, that we find it really hard to recognize God's presence. But the truth of the matter is that God is with us. No matter how far we run, or no matter how far we feel we've been hurled, no matter where on the scale between distress and deep in the realm of the dead we find ourselves, God is with us. That is a truth for us to cling on to. How can we be sure of this? Well, for that, we have to turn to the New Testament, and specifically to Matthew chapter 12. So Jesus here has been uh, having a discussion with some Pharisees. I say discussion. It's been a downright argument, and they're pretty upset with him. And so they say to him, come on then, show us a sign. Show us a sign to prove who you are. Now, Jesus, 
actually did perform lots of signs and miracles, but this was something different. This, the motivation here was completely different from these Pharisees. They were looking to try and disprove God. And uh, so he says to them, frankly, you're not getting a sign. Well, all right, you can have one sign. The only sign that you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. And so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. As a quick aside here, if you're confused about how going from Friday when Jesus died to Sunday when he rose again equals three days and three nights, don't forget the idiom of three days and three nights being about a long journey, and perhaps a long journey symbolizing death and then rebirth. So Jesus here says to the Pharisees, you're not getting a sign of power, which is the one they wanted, but rather you're getting a sign of humility, of love, and of power. Humility that God would choose to die for us. Love that Jesus would go to such great extents to, to, to show us the depth of his love. And power that God could raise him again, conquering death, and in doing so, make it possible for us to be able to have that true, deep friendship with Jesus. That we are able to cling to him, even when in the depths. To bring that image to life a bit more, we go back into Jonah again, and we're back to this image of the water. As I said, one of the images of water in the Bible is about death, disorder, chaos, and destruction. But actually, the other image of water is what comes out of that. You see, out of the chaos, God brings order. Out of, the, out of death, God brings life. So in Genesis chapter 1, we begin with the chaos and disorder of the water, but God creates, and in doing so, creates an order. In uh, the story of Noah's Ark, we have the death and destruction symbolized by the water, but what does God bring out of it? New life and fresh hope. As the uh, people of the Israelites escape from slavery in Egypt, they go through the waters of the Red Sea. So they're moving from slavery to freedom. And the imagery of Jesus' baptism, and of course of all our baptisms, is that of rebirth. It's of dying to the old and rising to new life. And so this imagery of water in chapter 2 of, of Jonah begins us in the chaos, the, the disorder, the destruction, the death, but takes us into order, takes us into uh, rebirth, takes us into life. And of course, we have this glorious image at the end of chapter 2 of Jonah being vomited up onto the beach, perhaps a, a sort of a, an image of rebirth. And by the way, that word there, beach, is, is really dry land, which is the same word in the Hebrew for dry land that we get in Genesis chapter 1, the, the, the land that God's created, uh, out, that God creates out of the water. So it all ties in into this big universal picture of God taking us from death into life. That is the story of this part of Jonah. It might be a long journey. It might be one characterized by chaos, disorder, destruction, and death. We might feel as far away from God as, as we possibly could. And yet, if we call on God, if we can find ways through the Psalms, through being real about God and about ourselves, through praising him, even when we don't want to, he does listen and he does answer. And through the saving love of Jesus, 
He is taking us on that journey from death into life. And we will find ourselves vomited up onto a beach to continue our calling. This universal love that God is calling us to live out in our lives, in our church's life, into our community, our nation, and our world. That's the hope of Jonah chapter 2. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.